About 14 years ago, we were living outside the Atlanta area. I was working with a church there in, uh, in Noonan, Georgia. And occasionally, I would make trips down to Montgomery. The reason why is because, as many of you, as many of you know, we kept Hunter a good bit when, when he was a little boy. Uh, before he started school, and so I would go down to Montgomery, and I would get him, and he'd come back, and he'd stay three, four weeks at a time with us, and then we'd send him back home, and he'd rest for a week, and then we'd just kind of come back, and you know, our spot was Montgomery, because that was about the, the halfway point. Well, I remember one time I drove down there, and I, I met his, uh, his grandparents there, and I, and I dropped him off. Uh, and, and I think maybe I had gone inside maybe to get a drink or something at the gas station that, that we m- would meet at. And they, you know, they packed up and, and, and went on. And so I went back out and I was, you know, going to crank the car up and, and come home. And when I went to turn the key, nothing happened. Uh, it, it didn't click. It didn't turn over. It didn't even act like it wanted to start. You know, it was just absolutely nothing. Now then, we had this issue. We had, a, we had an old Pathfinder, and occasionally it would do this, and nobody could tell us what the problem was. Just for some reason, on occasion, whenever it decided to, it just absolutely would not crank. I mean, it was just as you know, stubborn as Miles Bennett. You know, just, I'm not cranking, you can't make me do it. You know, that's how it was. Well, on this occasion, here it happened. You know, I'm an hour and a half out of town. Uh, I knew a couple of people in Montgomery, but there was nobody I could really call. I mean, I could, hey, can I spend the night at your house till I work something out? I could have done that. But I was not sure how I was going to get this car back home uh, because it was just, it just absolutely wouldn't crank. And I spent probably two hours trying to work on it, trying to get it to just do something. And usually in time frame, it would quit being stubborn and it would crank, but not this time. It was done. It was not having it. And so I'm thinking, how am I going to do this? You know, I mean, I can pay to have it towed back home, but that's going to be expensive. So I, I just, I, I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I, but I, I knew one thing, I was stuck and I had to get home because I had to be at church the next morning because I had responsibilities. Okay, so I, I did, the only thing I knew to do, I, I picked up my, my cell phone and I called my, uh, my, my youth deacon that I worked with. And I said, Danny, look, here's the deal. The car has stranded me. I am stuck in Montgomery. Is there any way that you can get some help? You can get somebody in the trailer and come down here and get me. Now, it's a Saturday evening already. Okay? It's like 7.30, okay, where I was in Alabama, which means it was 8.30 here. Okay? It was 8.30 in Georgia. And he said, yeah, I'll get somebody. We'll come down. Uh, come down. And so he calls a guy by the name of uh, Don Schneider, who uh, just, if anybody is a Detroit football fan, he played for the Detroit Lions for a while, years back. He's just this great, big, massive guy. But Don had gone into construction, and so he had a big flatbed truck. And so they loaded up in their truck, and they drove the hour and a half down to Montgomery to, to get me. And in the meantime, in that hour and a half, I'm still trying to get the car to crank. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And so... You know, there was just nothing I could do. We get there. Uh, they get there ready to, to load it up and said, well, let me just try it one more time. Fired right up. 
Just, I mean, it fired right up first time. So, you know, there I was. Here these guys have gone out of their way to come down there and, and help me out, and it fired up that one time after trying it probably 150 times over the last hour and a half. But the thing is, is that in that time before it cranked up, I had a need, okay? I had a need. That need was to get home, and in that time, there was nothing that I could do about it, okay? I had to have help. And so I called this guy, and he did not hesitate. He said, okay, I'll get somebody. We'll head that way. And so they got somebody, and they drove down all the way down there to Montgomery to get me. You know, and I was so appreciative of them doing that, especially being that the car cranked up once they got there. You know, uh, I was so grateful that they that they did that. You know, it's been all these years, and I still remember that story. There was a need, and they met it. Now then, probably all of us can relate to being in a situation where we needed help, where we had to have somebody either get something for us or take us somewhere or bring something to us or, 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 or do something that we were not able to do ourselves. Probably every single one of us has been in a situation before where we could not do something for ourselves and we had to have help. Anybody else? Okay, if you have not raised your hand, don't forget you were once a baby. Okay, and I'm pretty sure you did not change yourself, so that should be a hundred percenter on that one. Okay, now then, yes, we've all been in that situation. Okay, we've all been in a situation where where we have needed help. You know, and I've wondered, and I, and I thought about it again this morning. What would I have done? What would I have done had my youth deacon and Don Snyder said? Sorry, can't do it. It would have been very reasonable for them to say, hey, look, you know, we've got stuff going on. It's already late. I'm just not, you know, you're out of state. It's, it's a long way down. It'll be a long way back. You know, sorry, I don't think I can help you. You know, I, I, I would have been understanding about that because what I was asking in that moment was not that reasonable of a request. Okay, and they very easily could have said no, and I've thought back to that several times. You know, what had they said no? You know, what would I have done had they said no? I'd have, been, I'd have been stuck there until I figured something out or until the car eventually cranked itself, which it did. Okay, but what if they had said no? What if when you were in that situation where you found yourself needing someone desperately, whatever it was, what if help never came? You know, what, what, would you have, what would you have done? Aren't you glad for people who say, yes, I'll help? Aren't you grateful for people like that? I mean, I know, I know that, that, that I was so grateful for that. Now then, the other side of the coin is, there are people that we know have needs, right? Okay, and, and what we should be doing as followers of Christ is we should be doing what we can to help them, right? Everybody with me? Yes. That's what we should be doing. Now then, it is always, it is always easier not to help, right? Yes? I mean, it's always easy not to help. It's, it's easy not to, to just, you know, do nothing, okay? You, you, you can do that without any effort, okay? It is more difficult to help. Here's the thing. When you look at the life of Jesus... 
He encountered so many different people. People that came from all walks. People that came from all backgrounds. People that were the haves and people that were the have-nots. Okay, And all of these people he encountered, they each had a need. And Jesus, no matter who it is, no matter where he was, whenever he encountered a need, he met it. Even if it meant it was going to get him in trouble. Even if it meant it was going to cause him some very significant problems in that moment, but more significant down the road. And that's what we see happening in Matthew chapter 12. I really wish that we had time this morning to go through the whole chapter, but it's long. But there's a lot of stuff in the chapter. This morning, I'm just going to take you through the, the, the first 15 verses. And so what I want you to do the rest of this week is I want you to go uh, 16 through the rest of the chapter. And I want you to read. I want you to read everything that, that, that Jesus is dealing with in that chapter because there's a, a, a lot, a lot of stuff that's going on. But as, as, as Jesus opens this chapter, the trouble begins. The controversy that is going to be a little bit of a burr under the saddle or under the robes of the Pharisees is going to become more and more serious. It's going to, it's going to escalate. Jesus is going to find Himself wrapped up in, in a couple of different controversies that are going to, to center around the Sabbath. The Sabbath day that was so important to, to, to the Jewish people and it's beginning in this chapter beginning in chapter 12 where the controversy begins i mean it begins with him you know having a a run in with the pharisees but this is sort of the the start of it just building 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 and it's not going to end until we find jesus hanging on a cross and so we see this controversy Jesus knew this was coming. He could have found another way. Okay? As a matter of fact, in one of the stories we're going to look at, we're going to look at two stories. And in the second story, He could have waited until Sunday to help. But He saw a need and He would not put that need off. Jesus was always going to help people no matter what. So let's begin, let's just begin reading together. Let's start in, in, in verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and eat. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him or his companions to eat, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and yet are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. 
Okay, so you have this, this situation where Jesus and the apostles are, are traveling around. Okay, they're, they're walking to wherever it is they are, are, are going, and they pass by a grain field. Now, this, this happens to be on Sabbath, and as they pass by, they're hungry, and so they begin to just pluck some heads of grain and eat. And you might think, well, we, okay, well, there's the offense right there. They're, they're stealing. Okay, they're taking somebody else's grain, but that's, that's not the case. Because the law required that you leave, you know, a, a certain, like the margin of your field for passers-by. If they were hungry, they could eat from, from that portion. So that's where they're eating from, okay? So, so that's not the issue. The issue is that they're doing this on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day, the day of rest. And it means, you know, that word Shabbat. It means, it means rest or it means to, to cease. And on that day, you are not supposed to do anything. Because what if we, know, if we know nothing else about the Old Testament, one of the things we do know is God said, remember the what? The Sabbath day. Not only remember it, but what? Keep it holy, which means honor it. Do what it says do. Okay, and so in the, the minds and the eyes of these religious leaders, these guys are not remembering the Sabbath day, and they are certainly not keeping it holy, because here they are walking along, and they're plucking grain. Now then, you were not supposed to harvest on the Sabbath day. That was considered work. Okay, and so they see these guys doing this, and so they say to Jesus, look, hey, what are your guys doing? They're doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath day. Basically, they're, they're, they're harvesting. Okay? And Jesus says, oh, wait a minute. Don't you remember what David did? When he and, and, and his guys were on the run, when they were hungry and they had no food, they, they went into the temple and they ate the showbread, the, the bread that only the priests could eat. And hey, Remember, God didn't have a problem with that. So what's your problem here? And then he restates something that he said just a few chapters back in chapter 9. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Do you remember that a few weeks ago? As Jesus was calling his disciples and his disciples were going out and you, know, you got and all these other guys and, and, and Jesus is hanging out with them. He's hanging out with the, the tax collectors. He's hanging out with what are considered the, the, the scumbags of His day. And, and the Pharisees, they see what Jesus is doing. Jesus is supposed to be a man of God. He's supposed to be from God. He is this, this great rabbi, this great teacher. But the problem is, He probably doesn't dress that much like them. He doesn't talk like them. He doesn't do the things that, that they do that they consider really important. And one of the things he does is he hangs out with low lives. He hangs out with scumbags. And so they begin to complain, why, Jesus, why do you, do you hang out with people like this? I mean, if you're going to be a man of God, if you're going to be a, a, a prophet, God's spokesman, why on earth would you hang out with tax collectors and sinners? And that's where Jesus makes that, that statement for the first time in, in Matthew 9 around verse 13 for the first time when he says i desire mercy not sacrifice mercy is much more important 
than rule keep. That's, that's what he's saying. Okay, so here they are. They come to him again. They see Jesus. They see his guys. They're plucking the grain. They're eating the grain on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, don't you remember? Don't you remember what I said about desiring mercy and not sacrifice? That's why he reminds them again, if you had known what this means, you didn't research it. You didn't think about it. You didn't go home and, and ponder what I said. You don't get it. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Needs will always, always trump law. That's what this is about. Meeting needs. Was David supposed to eat that bread that was reserved for the priest? I mean, he wasn't a priest. He was not. But he had a need, and he ate it anyway, and God didn't have a problem with it. Because a need of a human being is much more important. Okay, so that's what, he's, that's what he's saying to these guys. He says, don't you know that the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath? Hey, you know, we're talking about the Sabbath. I'm the boss of the Sabbath, okay? It's okay. It's going to be okay. Don't call these guys guilty because they're not. They're just taking care of a need. Okay, well... And that moves us along. That moves us to the next story in chapter, uh, verse 9. He left that place and he entered their synagogue. He entered their place of worship, their, their church. He entered their synagogue. A man was there with a withered hand and they asked him, is it lawful to cure on the Sabbath? so that they might accuse him. He said to them, Suppose one of you has only one sheep and it falls into the pit on the Sabbath. Will you not lay hold of it and, and lift it out? How much more valuable is a human being than a sheep? So you've got another Sabbath day. Jesus is in the synagogue. And there's a man with a withered hand. Now then, some people believe that that guy was actually planted in the church by the religious leaders. We don't know. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. But what we do know is they are watching to see if Jesus is going to heal this guy. Okay? They want to see if he's going to heal this guy. And so they ask him, is it lawful... Is it lawful to cure on the Sabbath? Because if he doesn't, if he doesn't cure on the Sabbath, Jesus' reputation as a friend to sinners and those in need is shot. But if he does cure on the Sabbath, then they've got him. It's sort of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation that they've, they've gotten Jesus into. Okay? Now then, Mark records this story just a, a little bit differently. Now then, Matthew took the story and he, he wrote it in a, in a different way. The way Mark records this story, in Mark chapter 3, verse 1, uh, uh, verse 3, 4, that area, there's a man there 
Jesus sees him and he says, come forward. Then he said to them, he says to them, now this is Jesus asking them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or kill? And then notice the end, this will be on the screen right here behind me. Notice what it says, but they were silent. Here's this man with a withered hand at worship on the Sabbath. Jesus says, is it right to heal this guy on the Sabbath? Is it right to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? Now then, could Jesus have waited until Sunday to do this? Sure he could have. I mean, this guy may have been dealing with this for a long time. He might have been used to it. It, it, it certainly wasn't a life-threatening injury. And so it could have waited. But Jesus is, is trying to make a point. He says, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To, to save a life or kill now then notice what it says but they were silent now look at verse 5 he looked around at them with anger and he was grieved at the hardness of their heart here is a guy who has a need who needs healing who needs restoration needs to be made whole Jesus is going to heal him he's not going to wait he's not going to say yeah you know what we can wait hey come find me come find me Sunday morning not even Sunday morning come find me at the end of Sabbath come find me at sundown because technically that's when the new day would begin he could have said, just wait a few hours, come see me, I'll heal you, it'll be fine. But he would not do that. He saw a need. And he met that need right there in that moment. Jesus would not wait. He would not, he would not, he would refuse to put off helping someone. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out. And it was restored as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and they conspired against him how to, how to destroy him. Right there, they're deciding, we've got to get rid of this guy. We have to, we have to heal him. We have to, we have to kill him. Him. We have to end his life. The thing that, that stands out the most to me in, in the passage in Matthew and the passage in Mark is when Jesus asked them, is it, is it, which is better, to do good or do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or to kill? And they had no answer. They were, were, were silent. The point is, 
And here's the growth point. Go ahead and put it up. The point is, if you see a need, meet it. Does that make sense? If we're going to be the followers of Christ, if we're going to be the people who, who do what Jesus does, Jesus, he saw a need, he met it as soon as he possibly could. Okay, now then, being sensible, we understand that. But if you are able to meet a need, if you have a friend, if you have a neighbor, if you see somebody you don't know, and, and you are in a position to help, if you're going to call yourself Christian, you have to meet a need. We have to meet a need. And here's the thing. When we don't say anything, when we speak out against injustice, when we don't, when we don't push back against the uh, racist rhetoric that is, is being thrown around in our, in our, not just in our country, in our own community, when we don't push back against that kind of stuff, when we choose silence, you know what? Our silence is deadly. Does that make sense? Our silence is deadly. And so we must act. We must speak. We must push back if we are going to call ourselves Christian. I don't want us, I don't want us as a people, as, a, as believers, as a church, I don't want us to find ourselves in a position where Jesus would look at us and say, hey, you remember that? Remember that time that somebody was saying something or somebody did something and you could have acted, but because you wanted peace, you didn't do anything, you didn't say anything. Because you were worried about conflict, you wouldn't get involved there. I don't want Jesus to be angry at us like He was at the religious leaders because we didn't act, because we didn't say something, because we didn't stand up, because we didn't meet a need that should have been met. Are you with me? That's tough. But that's right. It's not, it, it's not easy. Remember how I said earlier, it's always easier to not meet a need? That's true. Okay, it's always easier to not meet a need. But when we don't act, we're not following the way of Jesus. Now then, you might say, I, I, I don't like conflict. You know, I, I don't know anybody that does really like conflict. I mean, if you do, more power to you. Uh, make a counseling appointment. But I don't think anybody really enjoys conflict. Now, there's some evidence to the contrary for some people, but I don't think, for the most part, I don't think sane people enjoy conflict. Okay, you know, and, and, you know, we can enjoy, or we can, we can avoid conflict, and, and many people will avoid it. Now then, some people will, you know, there's a, there's a situation going on, maybe something is happening, there's a, a fight going on, or, or something, you know what the right thing to do is, and tell me if you've done this, because I know I have. You know what is right, but for the sake of keeping peace, you don't say anything. Anybody else guilty? Here's the thing. There's basically two different kinds of peace. There's one that is called a, uh, one that is, is just simply called negative peace. 
Negative peace is the absence of tension. That's where you choose not to say anything because, well, you know, just want to avoid the conflict. We must strive for positive peace. Peace that steps in. Peace that acts. Peace that speaks out against injustice. Peace that is willing to step into the middle of a situation in order to lead people out of darkness. That's what peace is. Remember, blessed are the peacemakers. Being a peacemaker is not easy. We've said this for weeks and weeks and weeks. Jesus calls us. If, I mean, if we're, if we're going to follow Him, Jesus calls us, I think, to meet needs where we see them. Jesus met the greatest need that any of us have. And it's that we were separated from God. And so may we, may we, and if it's not anybody else, may it begin with us, may we be the people who will not sit idly by when there are needs to be met. May we not be the people who will turn a deaf ear to injustice. But instead, may we be peacemakers. May we put needs above law. Jesus said to him, hey, if one of your sheep falls in the ditch on the Sabbath day, you're going to leave it there? Of course not. You're going to go get it out. He says, so how much more important is a human life? I think it would do good for all of us to, to open our eyes once again. It's so easy to get jaded where we are. But I think we need to open our eyes and really start to see people again. And see that people are created in the image of our Father. When we do that, we'll trip over one another trying to meet a need. We'll fight with one another trying to make sure a wrong is righted. That's the way of Jesus. That's, that's the way of peace. Let's pray together. Hold.